Welcome to a patient safety podcast from Crico. Crico is the patient safety and medical malpractice company owned by and serving the Harvard medical community since 1976. A 43-year-old male who was seen often for episodic care over seven years at the same practice died of sudden cardiac arrest. He was a smoker, diabetic, and had presented with hypertension at numerous visits with several doctors in a large multidisciplinary practice. The patient first presented to the practice with complaints of hemorrhoids and a blood pressure noted at 130 over 94. Over the next seven years, he was seen 11 or 12 times, but only once for a full checkup just before his death. The rest of the visits were for acute complaints, such as earwax, ankle pain, cough, and hemorrhoids. At least four different primary care physicians saw the patient during that period. The patient often missed recommended follow-up visits, but not always. Two months before his death, he came for a routine checkup for the first time with this practice and was advised by a nurse practitioner to quit smoking and return in three weeks for BP follow-up. He never made that appointment. After his sudden death, the family sued the four physicians, the nurse practitioner, and the group practice. Allegations included negligent failure to properly control cardiac risk factors that resulted in premature death. After a lengthy legal process and investigation, the case was ultimately dropped. To discuss the risk management and patient safety issues raised by this case, we are joined now by Dr. Gordy Schiff. Dr. Schiff is Associate Director of the Center for Patient Safety Research and Practice at the Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, where he also sees patients for primary care. Thanks for joining us, Gordy. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, we see these cases really frequently uh, where the care gets provided to the patient, and it's good, but it's episodic. They come in with complaints, and things get missed because we're focused on the complaint, and, and they go away, and then they don't come back real quickly, and then there's that potential. Uh, how do we start addressing that risk in every practice? Yeah, well, this is certainly a tough case. This is a painful, you know, a death of a young man in their 40s. There's, we don't have additional details. There's, there's obviously an aggrieved widow who lodged this lawsuit. There's probably kids and parents, and uh, actually I lost my father in, in his 40s, and so the uh, left in the wake of, of a, a sudden unexplained death, people are grasping for answers, for, for healing, for meaning, for justice, for blame, and so the, the series of doctors who were trying to do their best uh, were somehow held accountable for things that may have been out of their hands. But having said that, there were opportunities to do better you know, th these are not unusual cases for us. I mean, typically we're seeing patients coming and going, missing appointments. Uh, what does a typical practice have? 5, 10, 15, 30 percent uh, no-show rates. So these are people who uh, we expect to see in our practice, and, uh, and, and their lives are complicated. Our lives are chaotic. People are coming in for acute care. Opportunities for uh, addressing more chronic problems are overlooked. So. I would say that unless we're thinking about this more proactively and redesigning our systems and tightening up a lot of the loopholes, we're going to see these kind of problems, and uh, it's, it's going to be hard. When you look at the facts of this case, was there one sort of simple system fix for it? Well, so here's a guy, it looks like hypertension was there. It was recognized as a problem, but it seems like it got lost in terms of, uh, of continuing oversight follow-up of this problem, even self-monitoring. Uh, these are all things that uh, were added to his risk factor. The one that stands out for me is the smoking. That's another problem. 
Again, the record contained documentation, as you cited the case, that smoking was uh, noted, was addressed on one occasion, but doesn't seem like there was any follow-up on that. And that's certainly a very uh, important preventable risk factor that may have contributed to his sudden death. So I think uh, we, we really need the ways of just keeping these, these both risks and problems, uh, the c continuity threat of that, uh, to be much stronger than I think uh, were evident in this case. Obviously, that sort of informational continuity, we talk about relational continuity is another aspect. He saw three or four different providers, often never the same provider, wasn't clear who the primary care physician was, certainly appears that he never established a personal relationship with this PCP, if he had one. But you need ways of uh, weaving together a sort of a continuous thread of ongoing care and overcoming some of the fragmentation that we saw in this case. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, coordination in these, these handoffs. What, what went wrong and where, where can you sort of step in and start to yeah. look at that and well, fix it? Some people have talked about, you know, any time a person touches a practice, whether it's for an acute problem or a, a, an annual visit, that there should be some way that all of the outstanding problems are at least uh, noted and there's an awareness of them. So we see lots of cases, this is obviously not the first malpractice case you all have seen or even that I've seen, where people have been bouncing in and out with, you know, he had a cerumen impaction, a sprained ankle and uh, hemorrhoids, but these are acute problems that he visited the practice for over time, but nobody seemed to have noticed, even when he came in for these acute problems, that a lot of the chronic needs were being unaddressed. So uh, if there were systems of, of uh, tracking these, either electronic or manual systems, uh, of making sure that there was sort of a collective agreement within the practice of knowing who's responsible for following up on these. That's really the goal. We also have a patient who doesn't always cooperate with the scheduled return visits, et cetera. Are there techniques or principles to follow to protect the clinician when the patient is undermining their own care? Yeah. Sometimes I have trouble with a formulation like that, you know, when, especially when there's a bad outcome, there's a tendency of everybody to point fingers at everybody else. I think we're not going to get too far by, you know, saying who's to blame or who's to fault. I think what we really want to do is re-engineer systems to make it easier so that the, we don't have these kind of outcomes. And so, A, how can we make it more convenient? How can we remind the patients? Reminder systems have been shown to be effective. How can we make patients have a relationship, as, as I mentioned, that uh, would make them want to come back. Uh, how can we help the patients engage in self-care? This guy could have been monitoring his blood pressure at home and putting it in online, or we could have been tracking that through nurses. So, there, you know, smoking similarly, using patient portals is another way of keeping in touch with the patient. So there could be ongoing touch points, uh, making it as easy as possible, and maybe it has to be customized. Maybe certain people are busier and they can't come in as frequently, but we can do this remotely. And so I, I'm impressed with how when somebody goes the extra mile for the patient to make it easier, to be respectful to the patient, to be flexible, to negotiate with the patient, I, I'm surprised how much more we can do uh, um, medically and collectively. I've actually inherited uh, some of these patients in my practice. I'm a new doctor. I've just been practicing for five years. A lot of these, quote, undesirable or difficult to manage patients uh, often uh, turn out to be uh, not quite so difficult. Uh, I think another thing, just from the malpractice point of view, is obviously the documentation is important. Obviously, what one did 
if one sends a letter to someone to remind them of the of appointment they missed or a colonoscopy or a phone call or a certified letter or how you've counseled the patient. Obviously, you can you know, lead a horse to water, but you can't always make them drink. So, to the greatest extent possible, I think the solution is to sort of try to make the continuity relationship work rather than to bounce these patients around. Because the next person that gets, quote, stuck with this patient is going to be working with the same patient. So we really haven't solved the problem or helped this person necessarily. I, I would actually assert that uh, we can do a lot better with a lot of these patients in, in terms of uh, going halfway to work with them and meeting their needs. Thank you, Dr. Gordy Schiff, Associate Director at the Center for Patient Safety Research and Practice at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. I'm Tom Agello. This has been a patient safety podcast from CRICO. More information about CRICO and efforts at Harvard to deliver the safest healthcare in the world is available on our website at www.rmf.harvard.edu.